Today we continue our conversation with Jen Taylor. We recommend that you listen to part one first before listening to this part. I understand why people can't keep buying risk and because that would, you know, overwhelm perhaps the courts. But I think it's really concerning with that you have to put everything in one risk and you have to find the new evidence while you're in prison. And I agree. I agree. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. I, I think there's a lot of problems with the way we have it set up now. And one of the things that, and actually a common retort, you asked me earlier, do people, um, you know, do people make stupid comments at you mm-hmm. because you are a defense attorney? W- one comment that everybody hears all the time is, well, he got off on a technicality. Well, he got off on a technicality. And, you know, the the answer to that, obviously, in, is... It's not a technicality if your rights were violated. It's right. not a technicality. You wouldn't want your rights violated. Um, but, I mean, to me, the other answer to that is how often do we see people that are actually innocent that are getting denied relief on a technicality? Because a mm-hmm. subsequent writ bar keeping you out of, you know, keeping you from filing that habeas writ when you have good evidence that you're actually innocent but you're barred by the procedural rules that say you can't file a second writ. That sounds more like a technicality to me mm-hmm. than a Fourth Amendment violation or a Sixth Amendment violation. Um, so I think that that's something that we should be talking more about and that people should be more upset about. Yes. Because, yes, and we actually even really recently, there was um, in Texas proposed legislation that would, in cases where the state agrees, um, would allow the basically the subsequent subsequent writ bar to be um, like worked around. Because the way it, it's kind of a complicated. I don't know if I'll be able to explain it super well because it's kind of a it's a really academic like legal discussion going on where the the court of criminal appeals has basically said the subsequent writ bar that's jurisdictional. And that's important. That ruling is important because if it's jurisdictional, that means that a court will not have jurisdiction to even hear it if it is a subsequent writ that doesn't meet all of meet any of the exceptions. And if they don't have jurisdiction to hear it, they do not have the power to issue to, to issue a ruling even if they wanted to. The reason why that is a problem is because sometimes the state will agree that a person is actually innocent and will join a writ motion. And they and, and all the parties agree that they want relief. And for most issues, even statutory issues, they can be waived if the parties agree that they don't want to, like if, if like for ev- evidence, for example, you all, you know, a really common rule that everybody knows, hearsay is not admissible evidence. But if somebody tries to admit hearsay evidence and then the other side doesn't object, well, the hearsay evidence comes in. The judge is not going to say, well, hold up. That sounds like hearsay. Mm -hmm. You have to object to evidence you don't want. And if you don't, you've waived that issue and it 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 gets admitted. And so the what was litigated in the past was can the state waive that issue by joining the motion or just by not objecting uh, to to on that ground? And the courts ended up coming down with their decision that, no, you cannot because it is jurisdictional. And if it's a jurisdictional issue, it cannot be waived. It, you, there's nothing you can do. The courts will, on their own, 
not hear it. So then there was legislation um, that was drafted by the Innocence Project that was, uh, it was proposed legislation that ultimately didn't pass, um, that basically created an exception in the statute for situations where the state agreed. Um, and they would, that, that way it would clean that, it would, it would fix that issue legislatively so that we could get that stuff uh, in front of judges. But ultimately that piece of legislation didn't pass that doesn't mean that it won't in the future but i know that there's some proposed legislation out there at least in texas to kind of to fix that mm-hmm. um so i'm really interested to see where that goes because that is it is needed and texas believe it or not is generally one of the more progressive states when it comes to post-conviction relief uh and if texas can if texas ends up doing it then i think other states would follow that's encouraging yeah and do you, do you see that a lot in law that um, that it can start a trend if some states? Um... Yes, yes, you see it all the time. Not just in criminal justice issues, but you see it all the time. Yes, and and Texas usually is on the forefront of at least on paper. Like for example, we had the first um, junk science writ mm-hmm. uh, when we talked about subsequent bars one of the grounds in Texas for you to file a subsequent bar is if you can show that between your last writ and now there's been an advancement in science that now you can, you know, now we have technology we didn't have before, or there's been an advancement in the understanding of, for example, bite mark evidence. We now know that that's not reliable, uh, but maybe in the eighties, we didn't know that you could file a junk science writ if you're, if you're, um, I mean, it can be your first writ, but if it's, if, even if it's a subsequent writ, if your last writ was f- litigated before this new, you know, this, this advancement in science came down where we understood all of that, then you can, you can file it. Now, again, I say that we're progressive on paper because there are still things you have to prove and judges will be judges. So actually getting that relief, um, it's still, it's, it can be frustrating um, going into all of these reasons why I took my other podcast down because it, it ultimately will matter. What, what matters is who your judges are, um, how they feel about, um, actual innocence clients and how they think their, their voters feel about actual innocence clients. And these are all things that you go to the ballot box and you want to vote for people that actually want it, that care about these issues. Uh, because there's a lot of judges that, you know, they were prosecutors their whole lives and it's, it's tough to convince them that your client is deserving of relief because they're cynical and they think that everybody's guilty. Mm -hmm. Jen, I have one more question. This is something that makes me crazy. What is your opinion on time-barred evidence? Um, so what do you mean by, you mean by like when you find like new evidence post-conviction? Yeah, there's some some things that a judge will rule were time-barred, so you, you can't bring it up now. Should have brought that sooner. Yeah, it's it's along the same lines. And generally it comes up when you're trying to show that your your subsequent writ is based on newly discovered evidence and a judge will say, mm, you should have found that sooner. Um, and and yeah, that's it's, it's frustrating because often the reason why you didn't find that sooner is because of ineffective assistance of counsel. You as a client are not, you're not gonna 
do the kind of work that needs to be done. Like you can't be expected uh, to know where to look and know how to investigate your cases. Why you have an attorney. And if you had an ineffective trial counsel and you had an ineffective appellate counsel and you had an ineffective post habeas or uh, post post conviction counsel, um, then you're not going to have a good, you're not going to have a good writ, right? You're not going to find the evidence that you should have found. Mm-hmm. And so you're put kind of in a position where you have to argue, well, um, no, maybe, maybe, maybe this isn't new. Ev- maybe this is evidence that should have been found with due diligence sooner. Um, but it's been found now. Right. Um, and it's the way that the law is right now, it's difficult to argue well, the the subsequent writ bar shouldn't apply because, but for my Sixth Amendment violation, it would have been discovered. That's a decent argument, but it's not one that is often successful, unfortunately. Hmm. Uh, and it, it drives me crazy too, but hmm. I think that a lot of these issues need to be solved legislatively. Um, for on the federal side, for example, EDPA, um, anti, um, what is it like the effective death, anti-terrorist effective death penalty act, whatever the acronym is. I mean, that the purpose of that statute is to make it difficult to file a federal writ. Um, and, and if you don't satisfy all of the, one of them is the new evidence, uh, and they're very strict in federal court on that. Um, you're not going to fix that by litigating each case. You're going to fix it by getting rid of EDPA and changing it. So. Right. I, I find as a, just a citizen, it's horrifying to find out that you could have evidence that would clear you and it could be not admissible. Right. No. And, and what I think people should understand is that you don't have a constitutional right to be released from prison if you're actually innocent. Right. You know, like you, you have a constitutional right to not have police kick down your door and search your house without a warrant. You have a constitutional right not to have somebody pull you over and search your car without probable cause. And if they do those things anyway, it doesn't matter if you have 50 pounds of drugs in your trunk. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what they found if, if you have illegal firearms in your house. They violated your Fourth Amendment right. They can't use that evidence against you, and you walk free. Right. People get upset about that. Um, people that truly, you know, and, and and you can have your opinions on whether or right. not you should be upset about that. Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court has said that if you they violate your Fourth Amendment rights, they don't get to use that evidence at trial. Otherwise, how else would we enforce those rights? Mm-hmm. But then the Supreme Court also said that if you have no other constitutional issues and your only issue is that you are imprisoned and you're actually innocent, there's a no constitutional violation there. And so I think the public needs to understand that, that the way the law is, at least federally, you can be actually innocent of a crime and that's not enough of that's not enough in and of itself to get you out but you can be actually guilty of something and the cop you know 
can't arrest acted you. out, which, you know, mm-hmm. he shouldn't be doing that. And and, and I, I, I personally have the opinion that, that that person should walk out of prison, but mm-hmm. most people are not okay with that. Right. Um, and, and I think people need to understand that that's happening. Um, meanwhile, people that are actually innocent, you have federal courts saying that they don't, they don't have any kind of constitutional right to relief. You have to couple that with, um, and that's why you file Brady violations. That's why you file ineffective assistance of counsel claims. That's why you have to have something like that to get somebody out. And you can couple that with, but for this, they wouldn't have been found guilty. They are actually innocent. But unless you have something to couple it with, they won't hear your actual innocent claim in federal court. And that's wild to me. Yeah. That's wild to me. That's based on the Herrera case, which was i mean that needs to be overturned pronto but it's not gonna be because like that's not the issues people care about right now that's not the issues this supreme court cares about they're not going to hear something like they're not they don't care about that so yeah to my understanding the the constitutional right that you have is a fair trial and that's why you have to prove that you didn't have a fair trial to get relief because it's not in the constitution because i uh, Sure innocence no is not that. in the constitution you're right yeah. innocence is not it's in not the constitution that, you can't um, <laughs> put random people in prison it doesn't say that so it's not in the constitution yep innocence is not in the constitution and there's even a quote from sandra day o'connor in the herrera case that is something to the effect of well um, if you if you had it this is why we have these procedural safeguards and if you had a fair trial then how could you be innocent? I mean, it, 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 it really, I don't remember the, the, you should go find the quote. And I, wish I had it in front of me because it, it is something to the effect of like, she doesn't believe. Uh, and many don't believe that if you had a fair trial, how could you possibly be innocent? Right. The, the, those two things in their mind, just like it does, they, they don't, they truly don't think that there is this, this problem of wrongful convictions. If you had a good trial, mm-hmm. then you're, then you're not, then there's no problem, right? And and yes, it is true that a lot of these wrongful convictions happen because their rights were violated. You know, if you had an effective assistance of counsel, if you if if the state was hiding Brady evidence, these are big contributors to wrongful convictions, absolutely. But it also happens in cases where everything went right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess you can have you know not evidence against you, but it can be hard. You know, prosecutors can be wrong and law enforcement can be wrong mm-hmm. it, without bad intentions. Right. You know? mm-hmm. right. And, and, no, and, and that it, happens all the time. Yeah. And I feel like the, the bar for proving someone guilty beyond reasonable doubt is not that high. Because. Yeah. It's, it's supposed it seems, to be high. <laughs> right. It's supposed to be high, but it is not high. And, um, Mike Ware, he's the director of the Innocence Project of Texas. He often says something that I love. So in Texas, if so, federally, you don't have a constitutional right to bring an actual innocence alone claim. In Texas, you actually do. Uh, you can bring a habeas writ that only alleges actual innocence and nothing else. Again, Texas is a little bit more pro- progressive on paper when it comes to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you read the case law, and you read how courts have decided these cases, um, the, the burden of proof is clear and convincing evidence. Clear and convincing evidence is less than beyond a reasonable doubt. Beyond a reasonable doubt is our highest burden of proof. Clear and convincing falls short, like right under that. Mm-hmm. 
that's the burden that the courts have established. This is what you have to prove. Prove by clear and convincing evidence you are actual innocent, you actually innocent, you will get relief. The other thing that they have said over and over and over in their case law is that actually proving that is a, quote, Herculean task. It is such a clear and convincing, a high bar. Um, okay. I mean, it's the second highest burden of proof in Texas, but beyond a reasonable doubt is the highest burden of proof. And you don't hear people, you don't hear judges calling it a Herculean task. Mm -hmm. You just don't. Um, so even the language that we use around what the law is, it speaks volumes to what we actually believe and what we're actually doing, because beyond a reasonable doubt is supposed to be the highest standard. And yet how easy is it to get convicted of something you didn't do versus how hard is it to prove that you're actually innocent of that? Right. It doesn't mesh at all with what the law actually says. Those was my thoughts on it. Um, I don't really know how to fix that because... Mm -hmm. To me, seems more like a public perception problem. Mm -hmm. It seems more like because the law is correct, mm -hmm. right? I don't think there's anything wrong with the law. Right. It's how we talk about it and how we look at it, and, and it, I think part of it is a presumption of innocence issue. That's that's not real, you know. We do as much much as we can to try to drill that into juries' minds when we try cases. But at the end of the day, you are not going to convince them in your 20 minutes of, you know, opening statement or your 45 minutes of jury selection. You are not going to be able to change the way they have thought about things their whole life before right. they get into the courtroom. Right. And we, we interviewed Mike Ware uh, for another episode, and he said the exact thing thing that you said you all the time and i steal it from him all the time because it is steal a really it. good example it's a, of of what how twisted it is and how easy it is to twist all of these words and how on paper the the law is really progressive but then in practice you're not actually seeing results and he said he said like it's the law is not the problem it's the people mm -hmm. and yes. it's the people that manage the law and uh, and read the law and, and apply the law so yes Mike Ware is uh he's brilliant I'm mm -hmm. glad you got to talk to him right yeah so were we mm -hmm. you're pretty brilliant as well yes I was know? thinking the same so. thing we're lucky to have you on <laughs> thank you very much yeah. <laughs> thank you yeah well uh, Mike's first episode came out last week and his second one comes out on Tuesday I will listen. listen. I will listen to anything Mike wears on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's pretty blunt and clear about stuff. Oh, he yeah. is. He's been practicing long enough that he gives zero shits. Yeah. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on your podcast, but he does not care. He does not. He has mm -hmm. zero filter, and I love it. I love it too. It's, <laughs> it's very, it's very relieving to just. He, but what do you really mean? And now you oh, okay, I get that. You know, everybody can have their own opinions, but it's nice when someone is really clear about, you know, what they've come to. That's, mm -hmm. And also because I, that's what I, I was going to ask you about politics in, not, not politics, politics, but politics in the, in the courts, because um, you don't want to, his, judges off and you don't want to, you know, and all of those stuff. But, but that also, if you have to prove that someone did something wrong, 
to when you work at the Innocence Project. Like, how can you say that without saying that someone did something wrong? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's a fine line for sure. Um, and judges are human. And I think we need more judges that were defense attorneys. Mm -hmm. I, I And I'm not... You know, I don't, I don't, I truly don't have anything against prosecutors. Mm -hmm. I truly don't. Um, um, I talk a lot of shit for, but I mean, but most of the time, like, I think that people are trying to do the best job that they can do, mm -hmm. especially these younger prosecutors that are, um, that are entering the, the, the workforce now, it, just the way we talk about things and the way you were taught is so much different than it was, you know, even a decade ago. So I I do have, um, I do have utmost respect for somebody that wants to dedicate their lives to public service and especially really smart prosecutors that they choose to go to work for the government when you know they can make more money mm -hmm. elsewhere. I mean, so I, I want to be very clear about that, but also at the same time, when all of your judges are former prosecutors and that's the pipeline, that's mm -hmm. the career trajectory start off as a misdemeanor prosecutor hopefully one day retire as a judge mm -hmm. and that's a big problem and i think yes. travis county is a good example of that because travis county is generally very progressive even when it comes to criminal justice stuff um i mean i quite frankly it's easy to be a, a, a defense attorney in travis county they're very reasonable they try really hard um to do the right thing they have a really good, uh, they have a, a fairly newly revamped um, conviction integrity unit. They just hired some new people. They, I, I think that they're a good, I think they're a good prosecutor's office. I really like the new DA. Mm -hmm. um, they're doing great work over there. Um, but every single election cycle when people are running for judge, why am I seeing over and over again bullshit like smear campaigns on any defense attorney that wants to run for judge. Right. A very good friend of mine ran for judge a few years ago. She's a defense attorney. Um, and all the media wanted to talk about was a trial. It was a, um, it actually, I don't recall if it was a family violence trial or if it was a sex assault trial, but either way it was a sensitive topic. Mm -hmm. And she won that trial. Her client was acquitted and the media, like every local paper for weeks, it was infuriating. It was, are you, do you really want to elect somebody that, that gets, you know, people like this off? And they had the, they had the um, complainant come forward, the, the alleged victim come forward and it was interviewing with all of the media and just talking about how traumatic an experience that was for her to have to be cross-examined and have to go through trial. And like, look, I know it's tough. I know. But all of a sudden, people that don't know how this works and people that are going to the, the, the polls to vote, all they hear is about how the other candidate who is a defense attorney just completely destroyed this woman's life in order to protect her abuser. That's the narrative that they're getting. Mm -hmm. And it is because she did her job and she protected her client's rights. And when they went to trial, the jury found him not guilty. Mm -hmm. And it was infuriating because the only thing that my friend did wrong was her job. Right. Yeah. Defense attorneys are not allowed to be judges here. Yeah. Um, the public won't let it. The, the the media won't let you. 
And the the actual judge who did get elected and who was a prosecutor, she ref- she kept her dis. She was smart enough to not ever publicly comment on those mm-hmm. articles. Like she, you can't mm-hmm. at, in in any way connect her right. to those stories that ran. But like we all know, we all know, right? We mm-hmm. all know who was the one that connected. I hate those political. Mm-hmm. Ads. I really did. Like who it was, and like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say anything mm-hmm. else. Um, mm-hmm. There was a whole, there was a whole. There, there's just so much. The drama is still ongoing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's 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 disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um, and Travis County, as I said, is a really progressive county. Yeah. If, if defense attorneys and judges here, God, what's going on in 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 the rest of the state? I just can't understand exactly. that. I can't understand that at all. I don't get And it. you think that it's like uh, people think that crime is infectious or something, that you can't be as pure if you have been a criminal defense attorney, which I think is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. But because it's simplified to you being on the, on the defendant's side, which, which all your job is is to make sure that you know it's a fair trial, and you know, yeah, the the rest of the process works as well. So, and prosecutors should be doing the same. It's not, but I think there's a, for in some offices, you know, too much of a focus on getting convictions over mm-hmm. making sure that the mm-hmm. process is is right. Yeah, and that's that's certainly a problem, and it was, I think, more of a problem in previous decades. I do think that there are some places that are getting better about that mindset, although I do think it's still a problem. But I think another part of that, too, is that if you're a career prosecutor, you drink the Kool-Aid, right? You're not all, it's, it's not like, I don't think that prosecutors are sitting around going, I don't care if they're innocent or guilty, so mm-hmm. long as I get mine. I don't think that that is a conscious thought mm-hmm. that is going through people's minds. I think that they trust their police. They trust their, they trust the system. They have, and through my experience, again, I do respect prosecutors. Mm-hmm. I do want to make that very clear, but I have in, I have encountered a lot of them that are not very smart not super competent but they win a lot right and when you win a lot you have an overinflated sense of your own competence and so they you know if if you've been if that's been your experience that's been your career and you're 10 years into this you trust your instincts you trust your ability you you know what you're doing but you have you have absolutely no sense of like you <laughs> of like how incompetent you actually are. You have this hugely overinflated ego. I think that's a problem. I see a lot of individual prosecutors where that's a problem because I mean, and it, it just it is what it is. If you're a defense attorney, you get used to losing. Mm-hmm. You lose on big issues. You lose on little issues. You learn to celebrate the little wins. Um, it's just it is what it is. You'll file a ton of motions that will never that that you're just you're gonna lose most of the time Mm -hmm. you know 
um, it's part of it. But, it, but it, thank it, you. Prosecutors are winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you weren't there, if the defense attorneys weren't there, I'm not even sure that anyone would bother with a trial. Because that's oh. how humans are. Like, right? Yeah. Why, why don't we just skip this strenuous part when we know we're in the right? And why don't we just do you hear that in the media too when there's a big profile like high profile case where somebody's accused of something awful everyone knows or thinks they know like they have the right guy what's in the news right now the delphi murders guy was just arrested i have apps i don't know enough about that case to make any kinds of comments i don't know if they've released any information about who they've arrested but already they just released his name I saw that. I saw that they released his name. But if you go to true crime Twitter, uh, if you go to Reddit, I mean, people are, they got the guy. Yay, justice. Like, and maybe, again, they might have the guy. I don't know right. anything about it. But, I mean, people oh. have already made up their minds. Mm -hmm. He's already done it. And so yeah. it's not a far leap for somebody to be like, why are we wasting money why you know why go through this process why you know this is going to take forever he's gonna you know, people were mad when the golden state killer pled you know i don't know it's it's there that is a sentiment of why why like and if you listen to one of my favorite podcasts is called defense diaries and if you haven't heard of it it the podcaster is a guy named bob mata and his yeah. father represented john wayne gacy yeah, and he it was, is a fantastic he, podcast. Yeah, he was on True Crime Binge with um, Bob Ruff. He was. On oh, was he? Yes. Okay. Uh, and I've Amazing. I've I've met him. I, I've got a a kind of I've got a podcast idea kind of in the works that he's already agreed to collab with me on awesome. for at least a couple of episodes. I really I'm a huge fan mm -hmm. of Defense Diaries, and I love his perspective of why defend John Wayne Gacy? Why be upset? And I don't want to spoil anything mm -hmm. for you, but Bob uncovers some really, really interesting stuff about how the police behaved during their investigation of Gacy. And it's fascinating. And so spoiler alert a little, mm -hmm. Gacy, I don't believe got a fair trial. Okay. I want you to listen to it though, because the actual like details of it are really juicy and really good. And he tells the story really, really well. But so then that begs the question, why do we care? A horrible person got executed. And that is, you know, I don't believe in the death penalty personally, but if I did, you know, like it seems like justice was served. He got convicted. Um, you know, why Why are we spending episodes and episodes and episodes talking about this? Why do we care? And mm -hmm. there's a lot of really good answers to that, uh, but definitely listen to it. I mean, for me, my, the, the reason why I care is because if we can't treat the worst of us with dignity and respect and like a, like a person, um, then we don't deserve to punish them. That's why I think we should care. But Bob has his own opinions on why we, it's just, it's really, really good. And I, I can't recommend this podcast enough. Um, Can you say the name? But yeah, no, to go back, De Defense Diaries okay. is what it's called. I think I've strayed from your question, but no, I it's, there are so many out there. Just go no. look at like, the people that listen to defense diaries and are mad about it. Like, yeah. I think that's uh, very on point to uh, 
to what we're talking about here as well. We talk to other people about what they think justice is and for who and uh, yeah. when. And we had a an example from uh, some years ago in Norway. There was like a serial killer, crazy person, quite, yeah, disturbingly killed a lot of people, over 60 people. And um, I was really concerned when the trial came around because it was so horrific and heinous, his crime, and everybody was pretty bloodthirsty, but it was handled really well, and we don't have the same punitive system here, and so he will get out um, mm. eventually because he was not... Um, he didn't get a conviction of uh, if you're like mentally unstable or something, then then you have to keep reviewing that case. And the family didn't want that to go back every year or every fourth year or whatever. So he got like a sentence that's life, but is about 16 or 20 years in Norway as well. But it was just an example of, yeah, maybe nothing is justice for this person. But as long as we don't change our justice system that we trust in because of a case like that, I thought that yeah. was reassuring. But it, that was the same debate at that time. These issues are hard. Um, I mean, I come on here and I, I, I run my mouth and act like I have all the answers. I don't. And I understand. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about defense attorneys and what we do and um, more even than the how do you sleep at night and why should we care comments is people think we don't care about victims. And that's not true at all. Um, oftentimes, our clients are also victims. Right. And if they hadn't been, they wouldn't be our clients now. And so if we absolutely care. Um, mm -hmm. I think what becomes tough, though, is trying to balance those two things where it's easy to advocate for victims and it is not easy to advocate for people that have done bad things. No one wants to do that. No one mm -hmm. wants to be that person that's speaking up and speaking loudly for those people. But if we don't have people on both sides speaking up and speaking loudly, then we can't ever come to a just solution that addresses all issues and makes this more a more just world for everyone. Um, and I think that's why we've always had the problems that we're going to have because no, you know, it, no one wants to do that. And I've talked with Kathy before about this. No, because we talked about the sex offender registry at length before. No one wants to stand up and advocate for convicted sex offenders to reform the registry. No one's going to do that. Mm. Um, and, and, and I think that that is really the heart of the problem is that these issues are so emotionally charged. And of course, we don't want monsters running loose in our community. Of course, it harms all of us when one person is murdered or sexually assaulted. Um, it does. It harms us all as a society when that happens. But it's no, the answer is not to just completely throw out everything that we value as a democracy and as a civilized society in order to try to to try to right that wrong um and i think when prosecutors individually they start thinking that their clients are the victims 
that also leads to problems because your client is not the victim. Your client is society. And I think prosecutors forget that sometimes too. Mm -hmm. And that's easy to forget when you have the victim on the phone with you. Right. Right. People are human. What do you do? Um, So it's hard to criticize that, but it is a criticism that needs to be made. Um, Some of the best prosecutors I know have are prosecutors that have had the, the balls to get on the phone with a victim and say, I hear you but I've made my decision. I mean, your right as a victim is to be informed, to have to have, to have your opportunity to give input, but the ultimate decision maker is the state. They don't represent the victim. They represent everybody. Mm-hmm. And if you can't have those hard conversations with victims' families and say, this is what we're going to do, and I've heard you and I, I've listened, but I've made my decision, then you shouldn't be a prosecutor because right. too often I've had, I've tried to negotiate cases with prosecutors and they're like, well, I just can't do that. The victim, you know, the victim's not going to be okay with that. Victim is not the one calling the shots. Right. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, but, and right. I guess that's why you have the law because, you know, at all times people have known that you can let emotions in particular situations, you know, mm-hmm. uh, be the groundwork for a decision about justice because, that's why you have the law, right? And it's funny because yeah. we we did interview a prosecutor as well, a Danish prosecutor, and she mm-hmm. said we asked her what one one misconception was, and she said just that about being a prosecutor. And she said people think that I'm representing the victims, and I'm not. I am representing mm-hmm. the law and the state, and I'm just here to make everything, you know. Mm-hmm go right and yeah so i think yeah a prosecutor that understands that um i think that alone makes a prosecutor much easier to work with much more reasonable again we're we're still not going to agree on everything right um and and you still might not get the result you think your client deserves but i think ultimately you're going to get more just results when that's the mindset of everybody very true Okay, I just want to say thank you so much for being on our show today. And I want to ask if you would consider coming back on the in the future. You have, you've thank made. Thank you for inviting me. This was fun. Yeah, you've made so much. You've made things so much easier to understand. Um, Definitely. Yeah. yeah. As just a layperson, a citizen, just I, I have no knowledge of the the legal system and you make me want to learn more. I wrote down the names of the things that you were suggesting and I uh, definitely want to look those up. So I just want to thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank and, you. And Jen, um, in the show notes, we'll go ahead and put a link to the Vanished podcast. So if anyone yes, wants so, to listen. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's not a criminal justice or true crime podcast no. at all. Like I said, we cover some true crime stuff. It's not going to be the the hard hitting, like really heavy stuff that we talked about today. Mm-hmm. It is, um, it is more lighthearted. Not always. There are some heavy topics we do cover, but um, I mean, if you're interested in what happened to Amelia Earhart, I think <laughs> go listen to that podcast. I, I don't know. I think many I have. Your listeners yeah. will be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen to mm-hmm. to the several of those episodes i don't know if i listened to all of them but i did listen to several Mm -hmm. thank you um i so if you start from the 
very beginning. I don't join the podcast until episode eight-ish. It's about halfway through. So um, this was a podcast that was already had been established, even though it was still new whenever I joined. And now I'm a co-host. There was also um, one case that I didn't participate in because I was in back-to-back trials. Mm. And so Chris ended up handling that one on his own. But what we try to do, we don't do this for every case, but what we do for a lot of the cases, especially the ones where we have a lot of information on um is at the end of whatever series we're working on we do a mock trial where we try to answer the question so like for example my favorite one that we did was for jack the ripper where we talked about the case we talked about the victims we um we had some other podcasts guests on the show so that we could kind of go through some of the um everyone's favorite suspects that have kind of been thrown around over the years and then we had a guest come on at the you know the finale and it was a husband and wife duo that recently released a book um on who they think the that that Jack the Ripper was and so we kind of chose them in their case to do our mock trial really and cool. we, we 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 tried to put that guy on trial but it's not you know it's difficult to do you don't have like real witnesses and so really what it is is we had the authors come on and and we cross-examined them and and we it it we did the best that we can with it I think that it ended up sounding really good um another one that I have to uh that I have to shout out is the John Wilkes Booth episodes that I did that is uh I met my husband through those episodes he came on as a guest and uh we talked about the 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 issue was because there's a there's a conspiracy theory that John Wilkes Booth didn't actually get um get killed and because yeah, the story one. is that he was cornered in a barn and then he was killed and then the mm-hmm. barn was set on fire and then his body was taken back and mm-hmm. um and then that's how he met his end but there there is a um <laughs> a really well I, I i say well known i didn't know about it until we started doing it but apparently in the 19 oh god early 20th century there was a um a mummy that was being kind of passed around and and there was this is like traveling mummy show which turns out used to be more popular like like these these travel like this this Mm -hmm. obsession that we used to have with ancient egypt Mm -hmm. um but there was this particular mummy that they were claiming was the body of john wilkes booth and the story was that booth had actually escaped someone had died in his place he disappeared Mm -hmm. and and lived under an assumed name and then when he died somebody came in he had he had confessed on his deathbed who he was his attorney had identified him yes it's my client yes he confessed to me that he was john wilkes booth they um and he wrote a book the attorney wrote a book that has quite frankly since been discredited mm-hmm. um but it's an interesting story mm-hmm. and uh the mummy has since disappeared we don't know where the mummy is at but <laughs> we did a whole thing on the john wilkes booth mummy and we had dave come on because i don't know if you can see all this crap in the background but he's a john wilkes booth researcher mm-hmm. um and if he heard me say the word crap just now he's getting <laughs> i'm gonna get in trouble after this is over um but, we'll cut that out yeah. um but <laughs> But he uh, he came on as our John Wilkes Booth expert, and uh, and that's how I met my husband. And so I always I always mm-hmm. plug that one because mm-hmm. it's it's my personal favorite uh, series that we did. Yeah, so Vanished is a good show. I like it, but it's not mm-hmm. it's not criminal justice related at all. Right, it's it's fun to listen to. I I like it. Yeah, it's definitely like a good palate cleanser if you've mm-hmm. been listening to nothing but murder for for days. Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Please check back next week for our conversation with Judge Marsha Stacy. And if you haven't already, please subscribe so you can get notified of when our new episodes release. 
and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Touch by Crime. Thanks, and we hope to see you again next week.